if you will, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11. You can find that in the Red Pew Bible on page 920. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 26. So Acts 11, verse 19 through 26. Of all the experiences that I have had in my life, there's nothing that quite compares to being there for the birth of our two kids. Birth is a messy, painful thing, but it's also amazing and wonderful. It's, it's this rush of a lot of different emotions. I, I have never in my life felt so inept and helpless as I have felt there holding on to Ellie's hand as she labored on. And I have never had my heart felt quite so full as when I held those precious miracles in my arms. I wouldn't trade those moments, as intense as they were, for the world. There's just simply nothing like getting to be part of that, getting to see that. Now, as exciting as that moment of birth is, it's really a very brief moment in time. Uh, Babies grow up, and then the real work and the joy of parenting begins, which is raising that child up. That's not glamorous. It's not easy, but it is worth it. And I have found that God has used that to drive me to new places in my own walk with Him. More and more, I'm learning just how little control I really have, and so consequently, I'm taking more and more comfort in the sovereignty of God and in the love of God. I'm comforted as a father that for all the ways that I fail my children, they have a heavenly father who does not fail. He created them for his glory because he is passionate about the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to redeem us from sin and to give us eternal life. We see that commitment and the way that God has worked throughout history to expand his kingdom to the world, which is what we're looking at together this morning as we make our way through the book of Acts. Now, it's important to remember as we had said at the beginning, that, um, that Acts really is volume two of the Gospel of Luke with a slightly different focus. You see, the Gospel of Luke tells us about what Jesus did to establish his kingdom on earth. And in the book of Acts, Luke tells us about what Jesus has done to expand his kingdom through his people. Now, that's important for us to keep in mind this morning because in, in Acts 11, Luke tells us about how the gospel began to spread beyond the borders of Israel to include Gentiles in a certain city in Syria called Antioch. And so as we read this passage, we get to witness God expanding his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel there and the birth of a local church. Now, we ended last week at looking at how God guided the church through conflict, which came up after Peter had gone and shared the gospel with a man named Cornelius. Uh, Peter had come under fire, you may remember from last week, for, for meeting up with the Gentiles and for eating with them. But it's not as if Peter had done this on his own. God had sent him there to share the gospel with Cornelius in his house. And God had saved them and given them the Spirit, just as he gave his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Luke explains to us, based on the authority of the Word of God and the evidence of the Spirit, 
how the church in Jerusalem came to the realization that God had, in fact, granted repentance and salvation to Gentiles as well as to Jews. So in our passage this morning, we see God continuing that work in another place. But we don't just see people coming to faith. We see Christ forming his church. And so there are important lessons for us to take from this passage about the way God is continuing to do that today. So, if you will, please stand with me as I read from God's Word. Once again, we're in Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19 and then reading through verse 26. This is the Word of the Lord. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for it. Please be seated. There there is a pattern, not just in the book of Acts, but across the New Testament as well, in which the gospel goes out, People hear it, they repent and believe, and then they come together as one in the context of a local church. Now this is a pattern that began in Acts chapter 3 on the day of Pentecost, and it continues on here in our passage this morning. This pattern is important because God's purpose for the gospel doesn't end just at the point of a person's conversion, and just at the point when they come to faith. No, it goes deeper than that. The Holy Spirit who opens minds and gives us hearts of faith to believe the gospel also equips us as his people to live in Christ. As we are born again, not only are we joined to the kingdom of Christ as our Lord, but we are joined to his body, joined to his people. While we are each individually joined to Christ by faith, We see that the scriptures teach us we are also joined to Christ to live in community with other believers. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 3, telling us how he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Listen, did you catch the significance of that? Heaven, the rulers and the authorities that are in the heavenly places, 
to see and understand the mystery of God's wisdom, look to the church to see that made manifold. God has chosen to reveal the mystery of his wisdom, not just in saving individuals, but actually by joining them together with Christ as his bride to live out as his body. The Bible talks about the church in two ways. It speaks about the church, uh, the, the big C church, which includes everyone who belongs to Christ, everyone who will belong to Christ, everyone who has trusted in Christ, irrespective of time and space. But it also talks about individual local churches where we see the body of Christ at work in a time and a place as God calls them together. The local church is important because it functions as an embassy of God's kingdom. It's the place where people come to hear the words of the king spoken, to conduct the business of the king. And it's from here that God sends us out into the world to be ambassadors of the gospel. Now, this seems kind of like a... Uh, Brad talked about earlier this morning about... He spoke specifically on the body of, of Christ. And he talked about how he felt like this was kind of preaching to the choir. It's hard not to feel that here and now. But I do think... I'm, I'm really afraid that the purpose, the pattern, and the significance of the local church is really lost on a lot of believers today. And so I want to spend our time this morning not just not only marveling what God did in Antioch, but also looking specifically at the way that God saved these people and then formed them together as a local church. And then I want to draw lessons from that for us to consider what it means for us to be part of a local church. So the main idea that I want to put to you this morning from this passage is simply that God's purpose for the church is not merely to pursue professions of faith, but rather it is to bring glory to Christ by making disciples. And that place, specifically, is played out in the context of the local church. Now as we look at this passage, we see really three phases. We could break this passage down into three phases of what Luke tells us about the, how this church came to be formed in Antioch. First we see the word of the, the, word of the gospel went out and people came to faith. Second, we see that as people heard and believed the gospel, God brought them together in one assembly as a local church. And then third, we see that the church in Antioch grew and matured together under the administration of the word. So I want to explore each one of these phases with you this morning in three points. We see that first, the gospel is meant to go. The gospel goes. Second, we learn that the, gospel, that, the, the, that the church is meant to come together. The church comes together. And finally, we're going to look at how the church is meant to grow together. So the gospel goes out, it brings the church together, and it grows the church up into Christ. That's what we're looking at this morning. So let's start by looking at the way the gospel is meant to go. Now, as we look at verse 19, we are taken back in time a bit to the days of Stephen's death. Uh, back in chapter 8, Luke told us that after Stephen died, after he was martyred, the church in Jerusalem came under some intense persecution. And as such, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
but be, but just because they were scattered did not mean that the church was silent. In fact, Luke tells us that some of these believers ended up traveling further to the north as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And as they went, Luke tells us, they continued to speak the word of the gospel, though at this point they were only speaking this good news to other Jews. But, verse 20, Luke says, There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who upon arriving in the city of Antioch were led to speak to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus to them. Now, previously in the book of Acts, there's, there's a little bit of a technical title here of a Hellenist. A Hellenist uh, was previously, as Luke has been using this word that we've translated, uh, it would refer to a Greek-speaking Jew, someone who was ethnically Jewish, uh, or someone who had become Jewish, but who was from somewhere outside of Judea itself. So what the, the language they were most prone to speak was Greek, which was, that's like English today, and so they were known as Hellenists. So this specifically as we look at this term you need to know that this is speaking a little of something a little differently the spelling here in the original language is actually different than what we've seen so far and it's quite clear from the context that Luke means for us to understand that these people that they were sharing the gospel with were in fact Gentiles they were Greeks now I'd love to know what happened to cause these men in particular to start sharing the gospel with these Greeks. Now Luke doesn't really tell us. Logically, we can see the connection between this and what we've been studying over the past couple weeks about Peter and Cornelius and the discussion that was had in Jerusalem about this. But Luke doesn't actually tell us that these men started preaching the gospel to Greeks because they heard about that. In fact, we don't have any reason necessarily to think that they knew anything about that at this point. What Luke does tell us is that the hand of the Lord was with these men as they spoke the good news to these Greeks. And as a result, a great number came to faith. They believed and they turned to the Lord. Now there's a force to Luke's language here that we need to feel. First of all, Peter wasn't the only one that God used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Luke doesn't say that these men started sharing the gospel because they heard about what God had revealed to Peter. They didn't write to Jerusalem to ask for permission. No, it seems that God simply opened a door and then opened their eyes to the need that was there. And so, out of love, they began to share and preach the gospel of Jesus. And because the hand of the Lord was with them, people across Antioch were hearing the gospel and believing it and turning to the Lord. Now, Peter's moment with Cornelius was vitally important for the church to understand that God had indeed granted repentance leading to eternal life for the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. That is a very, very important moment in church history. It's going to keep coming up as we go make our way through the book of Acts. But Luke is very careful to make a point to us to show us that the, this, that the gospel has a global scope and that the kingdom of Christ is meant to go out until all the corners of the world. As he does that, he wants us to know that what happened with Peter, what happened with Cornelius, was not an isolated event. It was not a separate movement. God was already expanding the kingdom through the witness of his people in places besides Caesarea 
it was happening here in Antioch. And if we look at everything that was going on there, I just think we have to take a step back to just marvel for a moment about the way that God worked through the death of Stephen and the persecution of the church to bring salvation to people who were totally and otherwise estranged from God. As tragic as Stephen's death was and the death and the suffering of those who died at the hands of men like, Paul, men like Saul, as much as we might mourn the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, it is clearly evident that God had an eternal and glorious purpose for it. He used it to bring life and light to the people who were living in Antioch. And so the glory of Christ shone bright there, even as it did in Jerusalem and Samaria across, and across Judea. Now there are three things I want, to no- want you to notice about from Luke's report of all this. First of all, notice that Luke doesn't tell us who these men were. He doesn't give us any names. He simply tells us where they are from. They're from Cyprus and Cyrene. He tells us that they landed in Antioch specifically because of the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. But he never actually tells us who these men are. These are ordinary guys who were on the run because of their faith. But because of their love for Christ, they couldn't be silent. They obeyed the command of Christ to go and to make disciples of all people. They preached the gospel, and the gospel bore fruit. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the preacher. The preacher is not the one who raises up dead hearts. It's God. These were ordinary men who simply and humbly submitted themselves in obedience by being faithful in the place where they were. And God did the rest. The Great Commission, I think this is an important point to notice because the Great Commission is for us all. Now, the people who originally heard Jesus say those words were some of his closest followers. But Jesus, in commissioning them to go and to make disciples, was not just speaking to them. He was speaking to those who would also believe through their testimony, and so on, and so on, and so on. The Great Commission is for all believers. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have an ordination certificate to be faithful to Christ in His call on your life. These men didn't have any of that. They simply told others the good news and God did the rest. Second, the second thing we want to notice about from Luke's report is that God is the one who gets all of the glory for what happened in Antioch. The reason people believed the gospel and turned to the Lord in repentance and faith there was because God was there with his people. If we go back to the Great Commission, we remember that Jesus said, he began, before he gave any command, he began by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And then at the end of the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you. We can see that very clearly here. The reason that this had this effect, 
was because God was with his people. He is the one who brought these men to Antioch. He is the one who opened up opportunities for them to speak. He is the one who was at work in them as they spoke. And he is the one who went to work in the people, in the hearts of those who were listening to them to bring them to saving faith. So as Luke recounts what happened in, in Antioch, he makes sure that we understand that God is the one who gets the glory here. The hand of the Lord was with these men Therefore, these people believed. The third thing we should notice from Luke's report is specifically about what these men said. Now Luke doesn't give us word for word everything that they were saying. He simply tells us that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Again, I think we have to remember Romans 10, 17, where Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So what was going on there is that God was taking the faithful witness of ordinary men and accomplishing extraordinary things. Salvation came to Gentiles in a foreign city. The kingdom of Christ is expanding here right before our eyes. And this is something to get excited about. Because as we think about our own day, we realize that this is something that God continues to do even now. As I think about what God did in Antioch and why it matters for us, I think it's important for us to see that this is still what God has commanded us to do as disciples of Christ. He has called us to be faithful in the place where he has put us. Brad made a really important point this morning in the devotional about how you are here primarily and foremost because God's sovereign hand brought you here. When we live with that sort of intentionality, understanding that the sovereign Lord has placed us here at a time and place for this purpose, it helps us to live on mission. God has put us here for a reason. God has put you in your job. He has given you your neighbors. He has given you your interests, your clubs, your hobbies. He has placed you in your family for this purpose. Don't wait for future opportunities to speak the gospel. Recognize that the call to speak the gospel is here and now. Speak it where you're at. Trust that God is going to work through that. It's not about your fluency. You don't have to have a name for yourself. It's not about how smart you are. It's about the love of Christ and the gospel flowing out from you to others. It's about God magnifying His power through your weakness so that the power of the cross of Christ might be glorified. Along with that, let's learn from this passage about the way that God grows and expands His church. Now, we all want to see the church grow, right? We, we want to see people come to Jesus. We want to see those people grow and mature in Christ. Understand that if that's going to happen, then everything we do has got to be centered on this, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. If the church becomes oriented around anything else, it is not the church. So we must resist the temptation to wrap ourselves around anything else. We must take our stand with these men and with Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live 
by faith. The gospel is meant to go out. And as it does, it does the work. That work, and what we see, is, is that it calls us not only to be reconciled to God, but it also comes, calls us to come together. And that brings us to our second point. The church is meant to come together. Now Luke tells us that when news came to the church in Jerusalem about what was going on in Antioch, they immediately took action. Now Luke doesn't say this, that all this happened, and when all this happened in relation to Peter's report, it seems pretty clear to me that it had to have happened after Peter had given his report about it, because they didn't respond by criticizing these brothers the way they had responded to Peter. No, in fact, they sent help. They sent in reinforcements. They sent in our old friend Barnabas. Now, it actually makes a lot of sense as we think about it. As I was studying this, I thought, why didn't they just send an apostle? Why didn't they send John or James or one of those other men? Why did they send Barnabas? Well, I think it makes, actually makes a lot of sense that the church sent him instead of one of the apostles. Now, Barnabas, we were told earlier in the book of Acts, was originally from Cyprus just like some of these other men who had originally come to Antioch and were preaching the gospel. So Barnabas knew the culture. He, he spoke the language. And it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if he had volunteered to the apostles, hey, I heard about it, I'll go, send me. But there's more to Barnabas than just his background that I think makes him the right man for the job. It's really his character. It's his spiritual maturity that stands out. In Luke, in verse 24, Luke describes Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. There's a reason Barnabas was known among the churches, not by his given name, which was Joseph, but by his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This is the guy that you want to send to go check in on brand new believers. This is the guy who went and brought Saul to the apostles when no one else, everyone else was too afraid to do that. Barnabas, yes, he had the right cultural background, but more importantly, he was a man who was gentle and understanding. He was a man who was not easily flustered with the failings of other people. Barnabas was a man who was Christ-like and gracious. He was an encourager who loved Christ and who loved his people. Now Luke doesn't call Barnabas a pastor here, but it's very plain to me that Barnabas, above all, had the heart of a pastor. In verse 23, Luke says that when Barnabas came and when he saw the grace of God, which is, which is at work in the lives of these brand new believers, he was glad. And so he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When people who love Jesus see Jesus being magnified in the lives of others, it makes their hearts glad. It fills them with joy. It's like John says in his third epistle, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Barnabas' greatest joy was to see the grace of God at work in the lives of others. So when he came to Antioch and was amazed to see what God was doing there, it made his heart glad. What he saw there were not Antiochians. It, were, it was the flock of Christ. It was God working 
And so it made Barnabas glad to see believers thriving in the grace of God. And Barnabas does two things when he comes to Antioch. Not only does he confirm what was going on, but he actually he gets to work immediately. The first thing we see that Barnabas doing is that he rejoiced. He worshipped and praised God for what was going on there. While the church in Jerusalem was under intense pressure, here in Antioch, the gospel was taking off. And that filled Barnabas with joy. He praised God because he saw God's, the fingerprints of, of God's grace all over this. The second thing that Barnabas did is that he got right to work by encouraging these believers, exhorting them, and teaching them, sharpening them as disciples of Christ. Let me ask you, do you feel like that when you see God working in other people's lives? Does God working in the lives of other people make your heart glad? Or does it make you feel guilty? When you are struggling spiritually and you see a brother or a sister in Christ that just seems to just be absolutely on fire, do you, do you feel jealous? Maybe a little resentful of them? What about other churches? Maybe you look at this church or that church and they're doing this or that and man, they can't even contain the number of people who are flocking there. Let me tell you, as, as a pastor, everyone in seminary, everybody wants to be the next Spurgeon. And it's always the pastors with the big numbers that seem to get the attention and the book deals and the resources. But is that really success? Is that something that should make you joyful? Is that something that you want? Is that really what God has called us to do? Look, there's a reason we pray for other churches in our city, in our country, and, and all over the world. There's a reason we pray for them. There's a reason that we pray for God to pour His grace out in them even as we pray He'll pour out His grace in us. There's a reason we pray for each other to thrive and why we've covenanted together as a church to rejoice in one another's joys and to bear with one another in each other's sorrows. It's because there is no room for rivalry in the body of Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's not about our glory. This is not our church. It is about the glory of King Jesus. And it is about the church of Christ. I think that is important for us to remember. Because it means that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever struggles we have, we can have joy when we see the grace of God working out in someone's life. That's why we pray for the churches in our community. This is not a competition. We are on the same side. We are ambassadors of the same king. And we want to see the name of that king glorified. So we pray diligently for them. And we ought to pray diligently for each other. We need that same infectious joy that Barnabas had. Because as we look at this, we see what happened as his joy spread here in Antioch. First, we see that these believers came together as one. They listened to Barnabas' teaching. It brought them together. What we're seeing here in Antioch is not just a bunch of believers in a city, but the coming together of those believers in one local church. Luke actually calls them the church in verse 26. Second, 
we see the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch coming together in fellowship as well. Barnabas, we might think that Barnabas had just gone to test the waters, to see what was happening there, to, to verify the reports they were hearing. But he, he came from much more than that. Barnabas was sent to be a resource by the church in Jerusalem to continue that work in Antioch. He had spent time with the apostles. He was particularly gifted in serving there in Jerusalem. In fact, Luke tells us that while... Um, and that when he came there to Antioch, a great many people were added to the Lord. So what we've, what we've got going on here is you, you have two unique individual churches in different, two different places. You've got, if, if you will bear with me a little bit, you've got the first Jewish church of Jerusalem, and now you've got the first Gentile church of Antioch. But at the same time, there's this fellowship between them, a union between these two churches, where we see the body of Christ more fully and completely particularly in the way that they're caring for each other and sharing the resources that they had together. The church in Antioch wasn't a satellite campus of the church in Jerusalem. It was its own local church with its own members, pastors, and teachers. And yet at the same time, these churches were also united together in one hope because they shared the same faith and the same Lord and had been equipped and called in a unique way by the same Holy Spirit. It is important for us to rejoice not only in what God is doing here at Grace Baptist Church, but across other churches as well. I, I, love, getting, I, I love getting visitors who are just passing through here who stopped in because they were in the area and they wanted to worship God and they wanted to spend a little time fellowshipping and worshiping with other believers. It's, it's in some ways as exciting as it is to see somebody like that and think oh maybe they'll come they're not coming back but you know what we will see them we will see them in heaven and that is something to praise God about and, and I hope that as they come here they are encouraged by the grace they see in the lives of this body and they are encouraged in such a way that when they return to their own churches they are energized to continue the work where God has placed them and based on that, let me encourage you, if you're traveling, if you're out of town on a Sunday, don't miss the opportunity to get to rejoice in what God is doing other places. Look for ways that God's grace is playing out in the lives of other believers. Enjoy that bond that we share in Christ. Go to be a resource, even if it's for, if it's for two hours on a Sunday morning, where you can encourage a believer of another body to continue with one purpose and faith in Christ. Go and enjoy the fullness, a uh, uh, taste of what we will enjoy in its fullness when we are gathered in heaven with the whole body of Christ. Pray that God will give you eyes in those moments to be sensitive to the grace that is at work in the lives of others and pray that as a result, God will make his church stronger by making you an encourager. Even as the gospel is intended to go out and bear fruit, the grace of God is also calls us to be bound together as one. It brings us together. And it brings us together so that we can grow. And that brings us to our third point this morning, which is that the church is meant to grow together. Barnabas was in Antioch. And while he was there, he was encouraging and exhorting the church for a while. Eventually, the church grew beyond what he was able to handle himself. So, verse 25, Luke tells us, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, 
He brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, before we get into this, let's just hit the brakes for a second. Did you notice who Barnabas went to go get when ministry became more than what he could handle? Saul of Tarsus. If that doesn't make you go, wait a second, then maybe you've forgotten that Saul was a Jew amongst Jews. He was a Pharisee. If there's anybody we'd expect to be at the head of the circumcision party that was criticizing Peter, it's Paul, right? And yet here he is, pastoring and preaching and teaching a bunch of Greeks in Antioch. Okay, that is crazy. And I think this really says something about the impact of the gospel on Saul. He is not the man he used to be. Honestly, it's pretty amazing to me that Barnabas went and got Saul in particular. Because the journey between Antioch and Tarsus is about 100 miles, so not a short walk. Barnabas went to go get Saul, and when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch, and they were there together, preaching and teaching in the church. This is amazing. This is such an amazing display of God's grace and the power of the gospel. This is what the gospel does. Can you imagine being part of the church in Antioch? I mean, good gravy. The, the, the preaching bench here. You've got Saul laying down doctrine and explaining the scriptures to you. To you, and then on the other side, you've got Barnabas, the son of encouragement, coming alongside you, saying, "Keep on pressing on, brother. Keep pressing on, sister. Take this into your life. This is how you do it." I mean, wow! I'm trying not to be too jealous of these people. Okay, <laughs> this is amazing. Here, here's the thing, though. At the end of the day, the church in Antioch wasn't Saul's, and it wasn't Barnabas's. Neither one of them could take credit for the success of the gospel in Antioch. I think about Peter's exhortation to the elders that he is writing to when he says, Brothers, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. All of these brothers and sisters in Antioch belonged to God. And here's what God did through these brothers. As they taught the truth of the gospel, the church in Antioch matured. It not only grew out, it grew up. It grew in grace. It grew in maturity, all under the preaching and the teaching of God's word. We know that it grew in these ways because we are told it was having such an impact, the church was having such an impact in the city that people started calling the disciples of Christ Christians, Messiah people, little anointed ones. That's what that word translates out to be. That wasn't meant to be a compliment. It wasn't what the first believers called themselves, really. Uh, whenever you find Christians talking about themselves in the scriptures, they, they call themselves the disciples of Christ or members of the way. But the term stuck, and here we are still using it. It persisted. And we're meant to understand that the reason that happened is because Saul and Barnabas were there in the church exhorting these brothers and sisters to be faithful. And they were submitting themselves to the word of God. And they were growing and it was having an impact. They were living with steadfast purpose in the Lord. And it changed the city. 
Jesus did not call his church merely to go and make converts. I want to be very careful there. He does call us to share the gospel. We do share the gospel in hopes that God is going to bring people to repentance and faith. But more than that, God has called his church to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. The goal of the church is not just to rack up decisions. The goal of the church is to make the glory of Christ known through the preaching of the gospel, trusting that God will use that faithful witness to bring his lost sheep to himself. The goal of the church is to grow in maturity in Christ, just as we see the church in Antioch was doing. Can you imagine if the term Christian took that meaning on again here in the West? Just imagine if that just stuck here in Sheboygan. What if the church in Sheboygan became known as a people who loved Christ above all else and who were all too eager to show that love with others the way it was known in Antioch? It would change things. I pray that it would be so. Our goal in this world is not to get people to like us. It is to show them the glory of Christ. It is to grow and mature in Christ as we set about in the work he's called us to do. So as we look at the birth of the church in Antioch, I think that above all, we should take on encouragement because the God's grace is what made it happen there and it's what will cause it to happen here. So we can stand assured that Christ will get glory in his church and that he will use his church effectively to exalt Jesus. So let us take Barnabas' words to heart. Let us remain faithful to our Lord. Let us resolve to live by His grace with steadfast purpose, trusting that God is going to do a work in our city. God is going to do a work in our region, in our state, in our nation. And that the work of Christ will be complete. And as we do, let us encourage one another in this, bearing the fruit of faith in Christ until he returns, or until He calls us home. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we have come to Your Word, as we have, as we have read about the miraculous things that You did in the city of, Antioch, city of Antioch, I pray this morning, Father, that You have given us a view of Your love for Your people, and a view of the work you've called us to do. Father, I pray that we would not take our lives for granted, that we would not take the body you've called us to be part of for granted, but that we would see the fingerprints of your grace on it and that it would cause us to rejoice. Father, we do not claim to think that we are perfect in any way or that we do not have areas in which we need to grow and mature. There are many. But Father, we get to rejoice in what you have done and what you are doing. And I pray, Father, that as we submit ourselves to your word, that it would bear the fruit of faith out in us, that your spirit would, would give life to us, and that we would be those, those we would be that soil upon which the, gospel, the word of the gospel fell and which it bore, for, bore forth great fruit. Father, we pray this not for our own sakes, not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus. 
Father, teach us to empty ourselves the way he emptied himself, to humble ourselves before you, to, to love others the way he has loved us. And as such, Father, we pray that the rulers and the authorities that are in heaven that are watching what you're doing here on earth would rejoice themselves and be in awe at how you have worked through such weak vessels as we are for the glory of your beloved Son. Father, we pray that the glory of Christ would shine from us as the light shines from the sun. And we pray that you would do all this for the sake of King Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.